it's so good to be with you tonight and to be with you folks online. There's maybe more online than there is here, but that's all right. Um, because I believe this message is for all of us that are here. Um, you know, sometimes you go into services and, and you hear uh, the speaker say, I'm not sure who this message is for, but it's something the Lord's laid on my heart. And, and uh, <clears throat> I think it's a message that all of us need to hear. And uh, so as uh, we turn, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 tonight. In fact, the rest of the week will be in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, uh, we're going to focus uh, each night on verses 16 and 17 and then look around it to see how that helps us. I told you a little bit yesterday about uh, my experience uh, with driving the Corvette. Uh, but I guess I didn't tell you that it was while I was at Mid-America uh, that I met Becky. And uh, while we were there, we met when we were freshmen, just getting started. Becky is from Minnesota. And uh, she lived uh, just off the highway of highway, U.S. Highway 71. And uh, for a while, I lived in Granby, Missouri. Then we moved to Baxter Springs, Kansas when I went to high school. But it was very close to U.S. Highway 71. And you could literally get uh, on Highway 71 in Granby, Missouri, or just across the border from Baxter Springs, Kansas, and go all the way up the street to Becky's house. Uh, It was just about uh, 600 miles away. But we met at Mid-America and got married when we finished that. And uh, I mentioned our grandkids yesterday, but we also have four children that we're very proud of. Uh, Our oldest lives in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And so our moving here to Illinois has been a real treat for us and the opportunity to spend some time with Chad uh, and his kids. He is an emergency room doctor down there in Cape Girardeau. Our other three children live in Mustang and Yukon, Oklahoma City area. Uh, Brett is a uh, youth pastor, excuse me, he's not a youth pastor anymore. He was my youth pastor for several years. And so that's kind of stuck in my mind that uh, I think of a youth pastor, but He's actually uh, an associate pastor there at uh, Mustang uh, Church of Nazarene now. And he has an organic uh, church plant that's a CrossFit gym. And uh, I think that uh, when I was here a year ago or a year and a half ago, I maybe told you about Brett and his ministry. Our daughter, Amy, is an assistant principal. And uh, then our youngest son, uh, Kip, is a firefighter paramedic in Oklahoma City. So uh, we're kind of hoping that uh, he doesn't have any serious uh, fires uh, during this uh, uh, time of of, uh, unusual weather. Being here in Illinois has been an interesting journey for us. I I would have never dreamed two years ago uh, that we would have been moving to the state of Illinois. Not because there was anything wrong with Illinois, just our entire ministry had been in Oklahoma. We had served as a youth pastor in two different churches, uh, Sepulpa and Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And then we began the lead pastorate position, uh, started in Medford, Oklahoma, a small farming community, moved out to the Panhandle and spent almost 17 years there in the church in Guyman. And then the last uh, 11 and a half years of, of pastoral ministry in Mustang, Oklahoma. So when we got this call to come to Illinois, it was just kind of surprising. 
And uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed, Becky and I have thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to travel around Southern Illinois and to get acquainted with some wonderful, wonderful people like you. And uh, I don't know all that God has in store for us as a district, but I believe he has some very significant things that he wants to help us do. And it ties in with, with this passage. Just a, um, a couple of facts. Uh, as I look back in the history of the Illinois district, back about 20 years ago, I discovered that uh, in 2000, the year 2000, which is 21 years ago, we had 95 active churches on the district with an average Sunday morning worship attendance of 7,174 people. In 2020, in our district journal, if you were to look through the journal and count all the churches and the uh, PACs, which include like the bridge uh, over in Louisiana, uh, the well, Flashpoint down by uh, Springfield, uh, churches that really aren't organized yet, they're just trying to find ways to begin the stuff. We, would, we could count 80 churches, 80 different entities. With that, there are uh, 4,858 people in 2020 in average worship Sunday morning attendance. So did you catch that? 7,174, 21 years ago, 4,858 this last year. Uh, now, from a business standpoint, that's not a very good business plan. And from a kingdom standpoint, I don't believe that that's the direction that God wants us to go. And so I think that one of the things that maybe God is wanting to help me do is to come alongside you, the local church, and to find some new ways to reach people. Now, now this year, uh, we've kind of thrown out the measurement stick completely out the window. Uh, we, uh, when our pastors report their uh, annual report this year, uh, they just, they're not going to even count the number of people that we've had in churches, which has been our mainstay measurement since the Church of Nazarene has been in existence. Um, <clears throat> although we discovered the general superintendent said we're not going to count, well, the, the, uh, the IT people, you know, those people that make all the programs and the computers said you cannot put zero or leave that line blank. So, so they're going to go in there and fix everybody's pastor's report to look just like last year's in terms of average attendance. But, but we're really throwing out the measurement stick of what is effective ministry. Uh, at our district assembly, or our pretend district assembly that the uh, district advisory committee held, uh, I gave three challenges to our congregation. First was number of, of membership, baptisms, and conversions. Actually, we need to reverse that. Conversions, baptisms, and new members. Those are the three things that we felt, I felt, that we need to measure to see if we're being effective in ministry. If we're doing what God has called us to do, we're going to see lost people who do not know Christ 
and they see the love of God living in us, and they're going to be attracted to find out more about this living God that we proclaim there is great hope in. And when they truly begin to see God's love for them, we believe that they will make confession, repent, and become part of the kingdom of God, and want to become part of the body of Christ by declaring their faith in baptism and becoming part of the local congregation. But so I've been thinking, what is it that we need to do? And, and it seems to me that the, these two verses, verses 16 and 17, really lead us to that. Listen to this, the, these words. No one sows a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So I'm beginning to wonder, as, as I think about the life of the Illinois district, the local churches that make up the district, would it be better if I used the handheld? Would that help you? Would, you, would that feel better? I'm okay with that then you wouldn't hear all the ringing noise. She'll turn mine off. So I wonder if in the midst of our being the kingdom of God, if, if we would understand that, that maybe over the last 20 years or longer, could it be that the church... You, the local congregations, us, the church, if we have been trying to pour new wine into old wineskins, and the skins have been bursting, and the wine has been running out, and thus, as we use the measurement of attendance, worship attendance, it gives us a reflection of the wine that has been ruined. And, and so I think for me, as district superintendent, and, and even tonight as evangelist, the question is, what can we do? What do we need to think about? How can we, the local church, the believers, the followers of Christ, how can we allow God to make us into new wineskins so that he can pour into us new wine, fresh wine? Now, I think it's really important to declare that we're not throwing out everything that we've already done. We don't have to, to, to scrap all the past, the history, the traditions. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I just wonder, though, somehow, should we consider how it is that we can be new wineskins to receive the new wine that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out so that those dry bones that, that the, the ladies sang about 
we can begin to see them shape and they can begin to have flesh on them and they can begin to stand up and there can be life again in the movement of the church of the Nazarene. For we belong to a movement. Uh, we're not, we, we need to get rid of denominational language. We, we need to see ourselves as being part of the kingdom of God who he wants to move through us to win the world for the sake of the kingdom. I think Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, you know them as the Sermon on the Mount. I think that Jesus was, as he began this ministry and began this incredible message, I think he was beginning to share with us how we become new wineskins. The, the religious people had, had taken the old covenant and they had made it something that God never intended for it to be. God's intention in the old covenant was always about relationship. And the people of Jesus' day had made it about the religion. And so as we look at this chapter now, we try to unpack it the next couple of nights. I want us to see this idea that God is teaching, that Christ is teaching us in his words, in his actions, how to become new wineskins so that we can receive the fresh new wine that he wants to pour out in our lives. So we're going to start with verse 1 and, and use verses 1 through 8 as, as a backdrop for us to talk about something that I think is, is vitally important in the midst of, of this discovering how we can be new wineskins. So listen to, to chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into the boat. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. I think that in the scriptures, every time you read something about Jesus getting in the boat, he was getting in the boat for a purpose. There is something significant that's about to happen. And, and as I think about that, I think that Jesus wants us to be willing to step into his boat he wants us to be this new wine that he talks about in verses 17 so that he can do something in us and through us to impact his world. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came into his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's, everybody's got it that's watching and listening to this. They just got to go, wait a minute. What, what's he saying? What's he doing? That doesn't fit into the, the wineskin. No man can say that. But Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, some of the teachers of the law, here they are, said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, 
or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Wow. Jesus had crossed over back into his own town. He'd gotten in the boat and crossed over the sea because he wanted to give some new wineskins out so that there can be some fresh wine life. So that this man who was paralyzed could have his sins forgiven. So there's some significant things in this passage as we think about it. You see that the healing, the forgiveness of sins came through the faith of who? It came through the faith of the people who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. It says to me, church, we have an incredible opportunity to be used by God to help people who are lying paralyzed in their sin to find new life. And if we have faith in Christ Jesus and we can bring those people into the life of Jesus and they can see Jesus in us, we can see new life. We can see individuals who are paralyzed by life, paralyzed by sin, discover new life. Forgiveness of sins. We touched on that yesterday. It's important to, if we are going to be men and women after God's own heart, that we are repentant and willing to confess and live for God. We understand that. We know that. We believe that. But with forgiveness of sins comes also the importance of our willingness to forgive others. In fact, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, right after Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I think this is important. As we think about how we live out our faith in 2021, in the midst of a nation that is Divided in turmoil, politically, health-wise, uh, racial issues, all kinds of stuff that has divided the church. It's not just dividing the nation, but it's dividing people in the church. And as we think about that, we need to realize that if we are going to make a witness out into the world and we're going to bring the lost people into no Christ, they have to see a, a people that are unified and not divided. That doesn't mean we're going to have the same opinion. It, it, it doesn't mean that we can't have differences. 
but it means that our bottom line is that we are unit that we are unified in Christ and with that comes the importance of learning to forgive others because I know and you know that we have been hurt in life. There's a lot of people who have said things, done things to us that have hurt us. And too many Christians today in our world are living paralyzed because they're living with unforgiveness because someone else has hurt them along the way. And I think that one of the things that we have to learn to do to be a new wineskin is we have to learn the art of forgiving others. There's no option. It, it is the only way. And, and, and I sometimes wonder in the midst of this journey, as, as part of the decline that we talked about, is it because we have, we have so separated ourselves from the world and, and we've held the world out at such an arm's length distance from one another that because they've hurt us, because they've said something about us, and we have lived and we are paralyzed in the church because of unforgiveness. Three, three quick examples that, that I've watched and experienced in my life. Uh, I believe this message of forgiveness uh, and that we have to forgive so hard, so much that I've preached it more than once. And uh, in in my last church, I, I remember the last time I preached this this the significance of of learning the art of forgiving others. I, I had a gentleman call me the next week on Friday, and and I absolutely had no idea what was going on in his life. But he said, Pastor, I want you to know, I called my brother this week. I, I mean, I th that was kind of an unusual start to the conversation. I, I had no idea what he was going to say. And, and he said, I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit used your sermon to convict me. And my brother had done, and he went on to explain what his brother had done to him a long time ago. And he had carried it with him for a long time, and it was keeping him from experiencing all the joy of the Christ-like life. And he, he reported to me, he said, Pastor, I called him, and I apologized and asked for his forgiveness, and I said that I forgave him, and he received it, and, and life is so much better now. And I thought, there's where it is. We in the church are paralyzed so often because we are living with unforgiveness. Somebody has wronged us, somebody has hurt us, and we have allowed it to, to fester up inside of us and we've not confessed it. One of the struggles with this new position is that, that we, uh, I mean, by being here for four services of four days in a row, I, I have an opportunity to see you more than once. Um, and, and uh, that's one of the downfalls of district superintendent. I travel each week to a different church, and so I don't really get an opportunity to know too many of the people, and so we can't really build relationships. And so Becky and I, we've been talking, and, and, and Becky talks about it probably more than I have, but it's a valuable thing, discussion for us to have, is how can we be Christ to our world 
in which we live. I mean, we live in Bethaldo, Illinois. I never heard of Bethaldo uh, before we got this call, but found out where it is. And uh, our, our neighborhood is so quiet. I, I mean, we hardly see anyone. If it wasn't for the Amazon man, it would seem like there was never anybody in our, in our cul-de-sac. Uh, but Becky has worked real hard uh, to uh, get acquainted with the, with the neighbors. There's five houses in our cul-de-sac. And uh, uh, Becky loves to bake and cook and, and take goodies to uh, the neighbors. And so oftentimes I get to be the bearer of, of goodies. And uh, so I had the opportunity to, to begin to get acquainted. And Becky had been over and met the one couple across the street and kind of down a little bit. And uh, one day there was a knock on our door. A doorbell rang. And the gentleman was standing there and he had his Bible, which kind of surprised me. Uh, and he said, can I talk with you? I said, you bet. So he came in, he sat down and and we began to talk, and, and the bottom line was something had happened in his home 12 years ago with his son. And uh, it caused him to be extremely guilty. He felt like he had made a wrong choice towards his son. And uh, it was just beating him up over and over again. He was reliving the decision and, and the relationship and, and all kinds of things. And so we had a conversation, and, and we talked and prayed together, and, and uh, we've had a couple conversations since then, and, and unfortunately, the winter hasn't allowed us to be a lot of times to really to build that relationship. And, and I'm not sure he's worked through it yet, but it made me realize unforgiveness has paralyzed him, and, and I have the opportunity to help bring him into the presence of Christ to find forgiveness and healing. And, and so I look forward to the continued opportunities to make a difference and an impact. The last one was really an unusual one. Um, we had this couple that came into our church, and uh, they walked in on a Sunday morning, and people greeted them. And, and you know, when a couple walks in, uh, you just kind of automatically think husband and wife. Never had any difference. Never they they attended church for for a couple months, and uh, we got acquainted with them and began to build the friendship with them, and and uh, we had a revival. And uh, in the midst of the revival, the gentleman was convicted. Came. To to Christ and sought his forgiveness and became a, became a believer. And in the midst of that, he began to share his story that uh, the lady that he was with was not his wife. They had been living together for several years, and, and uh, he knew that that wasn't right. And so we began to talk, and we had a wonderful opportunity to minister to them. And uh, on a Sunday afternoon, we had this incredible, beautiful marriage that the church people just came in and loved on them and, and all kinds of things. But as we began to get acquainted with him, he began to tell me his life story. And it had been pretty ugly. When he was 12 years old, he watched his father murder his mother. And it had, 
it had tainted his life. I mean, we can understand why. And, and he hated his father. Uh, he, his father went to prison, spent a lifetime in prison, and had died. And uh, it, he just, he mourned. He was paralyzed because of the struggle in life with, with his dad and how he hated his dad and how there was unforgiveness there in his heart. And, and we continually talked about it, and it was fun to watch God work in him. He was a smoker as well. And uh, I think that one of the things that impacted him is that we didn't tell him he had to quit smoking to become a Christian. We didn't tell him he had to quit smoking to become a Christian. We said, you got to become Christian. you got to become like Christ. you got to seek God with your whole heart. And God will work in your life. This is not about forgiveness, but one day he came in and said, Hey, Pastor, I threw away all my cigarettes today. And when I left, as far as I knew, he had gone like eight, nine, ten years without cigarettes. But anyway... One day he walked into my office and had a big vanilla folder, and he threw it on my desk. He said, Pastor, you got to take care of it. I said, calling my name, I said, what is it? He said, it's all the newspaper clippings, all the articles, all the stuff about my dad's arrest, his conviction, his murder, his trial, everything. He had held on to it for, for some 40-some-odd years, and it was eating him alive. And he said, I don't care what you do with it, but i got to get rid of this. And he sought God, and he, God's help enabled him to forgive his father, even though his father was already dead. And he began to experience new life in Christ. Because, yes, he had received God's forgiveness, but until he learned that he had to forgive his father who had wronged him, who, I mean, he had done wrong. But he, in his heart, had to forgive his father. And he did. And as he did that, he could begin to get up, take up his mat, and walk. As I think about this whole idea, I, I, I'm just reminded over and over again that anytime you or I harbor unforgiveness towards somebody who has wronged us in our life, we live with an infection, a bitterness that eats us alive. And if if we are going to be the church that sees the church change its trajectory, we as the believers of God are going to have to learn how to not only receive Christ's forgiveness, but we have to learn how to forgive others who have wronged us. That even means that that if I'm a Republican, I probably have some Democrats I need to forgive. And if I'm a Democrat, I probably have some Republicans that I need to forgive. And if I'm white, I probably have some black brothers and sisters that I may need to forgive. 
Or if I'm black, I may have some white brothers and sisters that I need to forgive. And, and we could just go down the list of today's struggles. And we in the church have to be the ones that step up and get into the boat and be willing to take our friends into faith because we love them and we love God. And we can allow him to do a work. Yes, becoming a new wineskin starts with receiving the forgiveness of Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the relationship with God begins when we make confession. And if we are going to live in faith, we then also have to make sure that we are living in ex an extension of God's forgiveness to us by, by extending forgiveness to others. So this evening... I just imagine that, that uh, people that are here, you have received God's forgiveness and that, that you were able to get out tonight. But I've just been reminded over and over again that sometimes we that live in Christ's likeness need to allow the Holy Spirit to check us about how we're treating the people who have wronged us. And as we go forth, I believe that if we live that kind of lifestyle, we will make a difference. We will begin to, to, to change the momentum of the movement so that we can see the kingdom of God grow. And men and women, young people, boys and girls will come to know Jesus Christ because Christ is living in us to make a difference. Let me pray with you. Father, It's a message for all of us to be reminded. Maybe tonight all of us are, are just living with a very clear conscience that there is nobody in our, in our past that we're living with unforgiveness towards them. And that's a great way to live. That's where life can begin to really take up the mat and walk and jump and celebrate your presence. So, Lord, for somebody listening online or maybe even someone here tonight, they, they just need to talk with you. They need your help. And like my friend that lived with unforgiveness towards his dad, he needed the fresh presence, the fresh wine of your Holy Spirit to pour into his new body so that he could get beyond the unforgiveness. So tonight, as we listen to this closing song, as we allow your spirit to minister to us, whether we're here in the sanctuary or we're sitting in our homes, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us deal and think about how we can help bring others to faith because of our faith and that we can make sure that we are living with an unforgiving heart. Excuse me, with a forgiving heart in Christ's name.
the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new life. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever. You want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing. In the pressing, you are making new life. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. You are breaking new ground. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Sometimes I wonder, we hear a message like that and we think, you know what, I'm good. I've been forgiven of my sins. I can go on about my day. I can go on with my life. And as I sat there and I thought about that, this message and I, and I think about where I'm at personally, I had to ask the question, is there any unforgiveness in life? Yes, I may be forgiven. Have I wronged somebody? Or am I holding on to something? Well, Pastor, I can't control if somebody forgives me. No, you can't. But you can do your part. Do I have any unforgiveness in my life? 
just one of those messages that it helps us to reflect. One of those messages if the Holy Spirit convicts and, we, and it brings that to our attention, we need to deal with it. Amen? And I believe that God works beyond these walls. And I'm praying that God would continue to work in our lives to help us, as Pastor Terry has shared, to be the faithful ones that will bring the paralyzed to Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father God, you are good, and your faithfulness endures forever. Your love endures forever. Your forgiveness endures forever. And we are so grateful for that tonight. God, I pray as we leave this place tonight, as we go our separate ways, you would continue to keep your thumb in our back to remind us to do our part. And if there's any unforgiveness in our life, would you help us to deal with that? To lay it at your feet. To bring our paralyzed life to you because you will heal you will restore and you will invite us to get up and walk afresh and anew thank you for that truth tonight we love you we give you praise and god we leave here surrendered to you in jesus name we pray amen i want to invite you before you leave come back tomorrow night 6 30 we're going to do it all over again and we're going to continue to worship together. So have a great night. Stay safe. Stay warm. We'll see you tomorrow night.